to the third episode of Ealing Road Buzz, where we talk everything Brentford Football Club. Uh, my name is Lee Wilmot. I'm joined today by our Brentford reporter, Tom Moore. Hi, Tom. Hello. And we've also got Clive Yorton, who is our Charlton Athletic reporter with us today, to um, give his opinion on uh, everything that's going on. Hi, Clive. Hi, um, We will start with um, the news that we knew about a few days ago, um, which has been finally uh, confirmed by the two clubs yesterday. Um, Andy Scott's left uh, Brentford uh, for Watford, Tom. What, what do you know about that and what kind of impact is that going to have on Brentford? I think impact-wise, it will, it will, obviously when you lose a man, there's an impact in the fact that they're going to have to absorb sort of his role in the job. So there'll be a bit more workload, maybe a, a later night as it were. But I think the way Brentford are, the way they're set up is anyone could leave and they'll be fine. We've seen that on the playing side of things with the likes of Harley Dean, Hotter, Maxine Cohen leaving. Brentford still beat Birmingham 2-0. And I think that'll be the same again on the scouting side. Is The way Brentford work is all about the structure and, it's, and they will look to find a new structure or adapt the structure, as it, I should say, to uh, improve it potentially. But I don't think there'll be too much of a drop in say the signings is the way the, the way Brentford have looked to sign players has been pretty consistent over the past few years really they look to sign young players with potential a fair few of them have come up from the lower leagues we've obviously seen or from the Premier League Academy like for, for example someone like Dean or they've signed someone like Ollie Watkins Ryan Woods have been excellent for Brentford this season so they, they will they'll continue in that in that way I suppose the only difficulty is Watford have probably clearly been impressed by the work Brentford do and have gone, well, we, we probably want to do some of that. How come they're finding players that they can sign come straight into their first team? Let's try and do what Brentford are doing in trying to find those young players for, for the academy, etc. It is what it would be for the academy is it, it would still be ticking, say, the Brentford remit, young, hungry, has potential. And they're the sorts of players that teams can make mega, mega money on. I mean, we saw, to you, to use a, an example related to Brentford as well as Watford, would be Andre Gray, signed for yeah. half a million, left for six million, if I remember correctly, goes to Watford for 18 million. All of a sudden, his value has leapt up in the last three years. So that that's clearly something Watford would like to try and do, but clearly sign the players for half a million and sell them for 18 million if you can make that sort of profit on a player every yeah. couple of years or so that then it really helps pay pay for itself so uh, that that's the way i see what they're now going to look to try and go about things obviously it may be a, as say okay we'll, we'll take someone like you you're a bit more we'll, we'll give you time to to adapt in the under 23s maybe in the uh, play or the league cup give you an easy win to it but if you prove that you're ready, you'll get a chance in the first team. And that that's clearly what, to me, that's what Watford wants. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's potentially more worrisome that Watford can do what Brentford do, but have much more money. But that also means that Brentford will have to just work harder in finding the inefficiencies in the transfer market, as they have clearly exploited. I mean, Brentford are after Ollie Watkins 18 months, months ago. So... That, that clearly shows that they can identify a talented player early on 
And if they're able to do that, then uh, and carry on doing that, then they'll still have that advantage over a lot of other clubs. And plenty of clubs were in for Watkins in the summer, but it was the fact that Brentford knew so much about him and had been interested in him for so long that they had convinced him to come to Brentford and they would have explained to him how they think he'd yeah. be able to do using all the research they've done and how that he will fit into the team and their knowledge of him rubbed off on, on the on the player himself, whereas other teams just go, Oh, this player's scoring a load of goals in League Two or this player's doing well in League One. Oh, let's try and sign him without necessarily the forethought of how is this player going to fit into our setup is Brentford will only look for a player that fits into the setup if you know probably have to take a very very special player for them to change the way they they do their business and I, I can't see Brentford sort of signing those sorts of players because sort of player that you would sign and change your setup by the likes of Lionel Messi yeah. and they're not quite in Brentford's uh, bracket yet. No, <laughs> it would be, and that, that's just the obviously extreme one. But you couldn't sign. Is Brentford could it would have loved to have signed Alex Pritchard from Tottenham a couple of years yeah. ago if they could have done, but he would have cost them too much money. Is he was sort of player that Brentford could have built their team around, but they didn't have the money to afford to to bring him to the club. So that that that's the issue. So it's can you sign a player yeah. that will fit into? That's true. I mean, uh, cap character is something they, they do look, look for in a player. I mean, after the win at Birmingham, Dean Smith was going, how there aren't any Billy Big Time players in at the club and that's clearly something they like about the players that they sign as they're young able to fit into how they want to play have similar characters to the rest of the squad so they aren't isolated there are certain players in, in the club's history that didn't seem to click with the squad I think the classic example I can give certainly from recent years would be uh, Saido Berahino he fell out to my understanding with a lot of the squad and um, was sort of eventually ostracised and I think he put a tweet out or something after a defeat at Leighton Orient and that led to sort of the loan ending quite sharply and then everyone was all sort of quiet about how that loan ended I mean and obviously we've seen since is he's certainly been a player that's divided opinion in, in dressing rooms shall we say as you don't is what happened at Brentford probably should have been an early warning to West Brom is that this person can d disrupt a dressing room and it was clear that, that there was a point where he hadn't really learned from that particular episode and and clearly with some of the stuff he's put on social media during his time at West Brom before his departure is he hadn't learned from those mistakes in the first place so that there is he's just an example I mean there, there are players that you think they've got all the right character, certainly with that players that come in through the youth setup, and um, all of a sudden they get a first team contract, and then it all goes to their head, and then they're sort of washed up out out of the game, uh, and uh, potentially facing uh, more serious issues and, and legal issues such as Montel uh, Moore. So uh, that that's certainly something that you have to be careful of as well. 
The um, obviously uh, recruitment uh, leaving uh, will be a concern to, to some fans, but as you've said, Brentford have suffered setbacks before and, and got over them and shown that it, they can make it work in their favour. Um, but if I ever just bring Clive in here, in this day and age, how important is it to have the right person in that recruitment um, position, um, given how driven we are um, these days by signings and transfers? Yeah, you've, got, you've got to have someone in place who is looking at football across the board, looking at lower league football. Uh, you know, non-league football is a lot of gyms, isn't there? Yeah. And uh, there's plenty of examples of those that have come through over the years. So I think you've got to have someone in place who can identify, but also get to know maybe who they mix with. You know, in any job these days, people think they can just put whatever they want on social media and Facebook and and they're not actually realising that what they're saying is public. And you don't really need a CV these days, do you? You can just look at someone's background and, and pick up on stuff like that. So I'm sure the recruitment officer will be doing that as well. Mm. And um, it's very important to get the right people. And also for players to accept that person in the dressing room, as you were saying, Tom. Mm. I covered a club once where they got a player back um, online and the first thing their teammates did was march into the cash point to demand that he got money out that he owed three or four of those players. They had stuck together and weren't having him back <laughs> unless he paid his debt. <laughs> so there's all that side of things that, that comes into it. So, you know, recruitment person is uh, extremely important. Do we know to how the club are going to move on um, now? Well, they're going to uh, take stock in a way, review, see, see how, see the setup and uh, look to see if they can tweak it find more efficiencies, improve it, is is Brentford see a player's departure as it were, or clearly a head of recruitment departure as a new opportunity to try and enhance what they do and that that's the way the club look at it, is trying to make it better. I mean, Brentford's recruitment over the last few years has by and large been excellent. Mm. There, have, there have been very few players that have sort of come into the club and really sort of flopped, I think, certainly in the last couple of years. The biggest flop would certainly be uh, Philip Hoffman, Nick Proschwitz, and to a greater or lesser extent, someone like uh, Andy Goggia, who was signed on a free transfer, and they were able to sell him for half a million, but he didn't exactly do it on the pitch. Yet, from a financial standpoint, he could also be viewed as a successful signing as well. So, sometimes signings can be unsuccessful on the pitch, but add add value in the uh, bank balance. Yeah. I, think, uh, that, I think one example of that would probably be someone like Mikel or Veron actually, who was a man, the two that sort of went from Man U to Chelsea, obviously Mikel never played for Man U if my memory serves me right, but they ended up making money out of those, those players even though they didn't exactly produce the goods on the pitch. So it, it is recruitment is, is vital and the thing is, is a club like Man United can make a mistake on the player and not suffer as much of a consequence whereas Brentford have to by and large be spot on there they've got one of the lowest budgets in the championship so if they try and do what the likes of Wolves are doing with the money they've got is they'll they'll fail every time so they've got to try and find new ways or take maybe a couple more risks as it were in terms of signings but those risks would be taken on a lot of the, the knowledge and everyone knows that, that Brentford do 
have a very good statistical analysis department given Matthew Benham's smart odds they provide they've got a lot of statistical analysis on on footballers his, his model certainly seems to have, have worked in general for the players they've signed so so I'll break for the championship club that want to stay in the championship or have they got ambitions to go to the Premier League because in that case then you do have to try and speculate on a bit, bit of a bigger sign and perhaps spend a bit more money mm. I mean they're punching above their weight aren't they they're doing a, a really good job in, in that division they're above the likes of Fulham and QPR Burnley and you name it so yeah. they're doing a really good job do they want to stay there for some they've come a long way haven't they in a oh. short space of time yeah. and it's just whether do, do they want to actually make the next next step or, or not are they happy where they are I think it's uh, is yes they do want to make the next step and they want to do it as quickly as possible but they will also be aware of clubs that have maybe taken that next step too quickly. Yeah. And there are lots of things that, that have to be sort of factored in at Brentford is, is yes, I could see a potential scenario emerging where if Brentford keep on their good run of form and they're in the playoff mix in January in the playoff positions, is I could see them trying to put a bit of extra money into the club and trying to bring a few extra players in in January to to have a go. That could have an adverse effect though, couldn't it? Because yeah. you can bring someone in from the outside that then upsets the yes. apple cart of, of what you've already been doing. Which was, in a way, if we go back to 2014-15, is part of the things that certainly some of the stories you hear about what happened between Brentford and Mark Warburton stem back to the January transfer window, is Matthew Benham was keen to try and sign players in the January transfer window to improve the squad and go for it, he saw a real opportunity to go into the Premier League. Now, the story goes is that Mark Warburton didn't really want those players. He was happy with the side he had. He didn't think they necessarily improved the team and stuck with what he had. And obviously, they ended up losing in the playoffs. But that was sort of part of the wider falling out. And that was why Matty Benham wanted to sort of change the structure to remove the managerial veto. I think it's always important to stress it was the loss of managerial veto that was the real sticking point between Benham and Warburton is Warburton did not want to lose that veto and that was what ended up leading to their departure. And I think his Brentford have come a long way in 10 years. I was just looking at uh, sort of their fixtures 10 years ago, losing 1-0 at Macclesfield on a Tuesday night oh. in the cold November evening and then losing 7-0 at Peterborough on a Saturday when... Simon Brown gets sent off after 30 seconds. Clark Masters comes on and is actually Brentford's best player as they ship seven goals in horrific circumstances when they had players that got lost on the M25 like Lewis Emanuel for an FA Cup replay. Is there were so many, is they were, is 10 years ago Brentford were looking at the conference trap door. They, and Going back, and it almost goes back to Andy Scott Hill's assistant manager at that point. He became the manager of December 2007 after a home defeat to Grimsby, which was certainly grim. So, in that, <laughs> in that respect, Tom, um, being a championship club is no mean feat. You look at League One, Wigan Athletic, Blackburn Rovers, yeah. Charlton Athletic, uh, Portsmouth, you've got League Two, you've got Coventry City. Yeah. You know, to be in the championship is a fantastic achievement, really. and do they want to stay there and consolidate, or do they? It's a gamble, isn't it? Do you want to get to the there, there is that gamble, and certainly the, the overriding feeling is is it all comes back to the infrastructure of the club. Is Griffin Park is 
over 110 years old is it doesn't have the facilities to generate non-match day revenue. Has it still got four pubs? It does have four pubs <laughs> on each corner. It temporarily went down to three when the Royal Oak closed, but that's now reopened on a match day, so there are now four pubs. One assumes you've frequented all of them, uh, Tom. Uh, that, that may have happened on... Uh, <laughs> Not in the same day, I'm assuming. <laughs> no, it may have happened on the same day as well, but, uh, but uh, I think I've forgotten about that that day. <laughs> Um, but is it is that's what makes it the Lionel Rose part and the new stadium part of the thing is they will have more scope to be able to maybe put a bit more money in and that would help them climb mm. climb the tables and from what I understand is the bonuses in place are of reaching the Premier League are are very very high as they have that set up is they they could eat, they would the squad would be getting millions if they took the club into uh, to share. But they, they would get, they're, they're certainly massive financial incentives inside the club in getting to the Premier League. So they want to get there. And if, they, if you said, do you want to get there this year, they'll snap your hand off and say yes. The question is, is would they rather, say, be, in a way, I think we, one example to look at with something, someone like Burnley. They went up, did well, but went down, kept the, ma- kept the manager, kept the bulk of the squad, added a few players such as Andre Gray, went back up and now are thriving. And we've got Sean Dyche being linked with Everton, being seen as potential England manager, is whether you can take that step forward, then you're prepared to take the step back. And then if you can get back up there, you can then establish yourself, which is what West Brom did. They were they were the archetypal yo-yo club is they would certainly and the thing is the financial money of the Premier League and the, the TV stuff that comes in that they would is that would really change the club as they'd be able to do a few more things. They wouldn't necessarily change the structure and the players they look to sign, but certainly the players they're capable of signing it would be a much greater pool and you could probably attract the better players as it were that Brentford couldn't afford at this moment. Is they'd be able to do that, but certainly with the way Matty Benning runs the club is it would always be one that's looking to just make sure that they're within financial fair play. And they've got, is they do, is things like Griffin Park, as much as it's a wonderful old ground, it's the uh, away terrace now used to be leaky when it was the home terraces. But it, it, it's, it's quite, yes, it, it, it's not like, um, I think uh, certainly when going for one promotion under Andy Scott in 2009 at Darlington, it was a bit weird to be, seeing a, a stadium that had 3,000 in it but it could actually house I think 20 or 1,000 or something it was it was bizarre to be in in such a stadium that is pretty much empty bar about I think it's about an eighth or so full so it is you don't want that situation Griffin Park's tight it's compact teams don't like going there it's the away dressing room is shocking and I've, I've actually seen combined counties dressing rooms for, for away players and the referees is actually better than well, different at, parks. Look at how much struggle when they move away to a different ground. West Ham United, for prime example. Upton Park, very similar to Brick Bradford. Yeah. Is, it, is moving ground is all, always difficult and certainly there are there are, there are quarterly towers such as Coventry for instance and you can certainly look at other other grounds, Darlington being one of them. It, Featums and moving there to the Darlington Arena or whatever sponsors on it as well these days <laughs> or in those days is you can is it can 
damage a club, but it can also go a club. Look at Swansea, for instance. They moved out of Vetchfield into the Liberty Stadium, and now they, they've obviously climbed, climbed through the leagues and uh, are now... Uh, Doncaster Rovers, Rovers as well, they, they certainly were able to climb, but then they've sort of fallen back and certainly from Brentford's perspective with Doncaster having taken promotion on the last day on, at Griffin Park after uh, Marcello tried to hit the bar from the penalty spot mm. to sort of see them go straight back down, Yeovil go up, go straight back down, Brentford to have gone up a year later to be last three years top ten championship and finishing in the playoffs once. Mm. You could even look back at that and say that might have been a blessing in disguise to have seen, uh, to have had to wait that extra year. Sometimes you get those players that are a year old or a year wiser, and it and it improve, improves the situation in the long term. Is and certainly that's the way Brentford tend to think. Is everything is down to a long term vision, and the people that they've got in are there because they fit that long term vision, and they will have, as I can as I saw on. On Sky, you have Keith Andrews saying why shouldn't why Sunderland should have a look at Dean Smith? Why, why shouldn't he be considered for a club that's obviously been in the Premier League and is clearly carrying the hopes of uh, main weirsiders? What why shouldn't he be considered something like that? Is let's just say Sunderland were to come in for Dean Smith, and there, there's no suggestion to say that's happening, and I don't believe for a minute Dean Smith would would go there if hypothetically was to go. Sunderland is Brentford already will have people in place that can fit in fit in the mould, the style of play that that has been ingrained into the DNA of the club. So it really is the structure is bigger than the person. But then I saw people say, Oh, it's the structure is is they're praising the structure and the way the club's run for the club's upturn in form and results over say Dean Smith but the thing is for me is Dean Smith's the one that will get the criticism when the results go badly so he also deserves the praise now the results have been going well so it works both ways is the structure was still the same and even when the results were going badly you could see it was there and now it's sort of working is Dean Smith is an excellent head coach for Brentford's excellent structure as far as I'm concerned he was someone that um, I linked um, that I thought Palace should be looking at when, when Adam has left um, at the end of last season. Um, someone that, a young uh, English manager that, that should be being looked at by potential Premier League clubs um, because of the, the job he's done at Brentford. So I wouldn't be surprised if there are other clubs out there looking at him. I wouldn't be surprised, but then I think if we use one recent managerial appointment as a, an example is David Moyes. Is everyone seeing that as an uninspiring appointment? Why didn't they go for someone like Slavisa Jakanovic or or someone that's young or Sean Dyche or considering those, those sorts of names, Everton allegedly considering Sam Allardyce, although there's seemingly nothing in it. But if we look at David Moyes, he did very well at Everton. Nobody can deny the job he did at Everton. Manchester United go, right, you're our man to replace Ferguson. They sacked him a year later. He's still, he was still effectively in the original contract he signed at Man United. So he's, he signed, I think he signed a six-year contract at Man United and has managed Man United, bit of a hell? Sociedad in Spain, Sunderland and, and now West Ham. And that's all in the length of yeah. his... Uh, 
Man United contract. And the thing is, is in a way, I think that's potentially scared other clubs in a way because everyone looked at Man United. They were always very solid, stable club. Glad I didn't say strong and stable there. <laughs> But they're always a club that were built on good foundations, as they weren't, say, like a Chelsea or a Man City who had to who spent big money to reach the top, as they were a club that were built on their tradition. And the thing is, they clearly wanted to go for someone that had earned the right in the Premier League, like David Moyes, and it didn't work out for them. It's, it just didn't make up that Man United mindset. He was always talking about, say, respecting the opposition. Spanish United, it's one of the biggest clubs in the country. You should only be saying we're we're looking at how we can how we can win. Well, is we respect them, but we're only looking at how we can win. Is that the mindset wasn't necessarily right for Man United? And the problem is you've got clubs like say Palace, is they've had so many managers like Tony Pulis, Sam Allardyce. Is they don't necessarily seem to have a structure in place. I mean, when you look at Sunderland, is they probably got a few players that two or three managers signed two, three, four managers ago. And the thing is they've got all their managers for different philosophies and ideals. And the thing is Smith is the sort of person that likes to work for a club that has got ideals and a, a set up with how he uh, he, he uh, likes to uh, to manage or coach a club. So that that's the thing is is it all goes back to structure in a way. Well, West Ham's structure apparently is better than Sunderland's, according to Sam Adelson and Peyton the other day. He was saying that Moyes would do a good job because the players he's got at West Ham are generally far better than the players that are at Sunderland. At the end of the day, that's what you're looking for. Players are a massive part. You know, they're managing to well, aren't they? Yeah, players are certainly a, a massive part. And I think there was certainly someone said like, at some point is they, they always... I think I think there was a story about Sunderland looking to have a, their training ground at QPR's Harlington base at one point. I seem to recall this. Is their idea was is we can't attract players to come and move to Sunderland. So if we have our training ground in London, we can attract players to come. I'm quite certain that 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 story actually happened at, at one point. I seem to remember hearing some rumours about that. Obviously Not necessarily more better players, though. Just just no. more players. <laughs> no, and it was it was a, it was certainly a bizarre bizarre story to certainly read at the time. Yeah. I'm certain I didn't imagine it. Is and that could certainly be a factor. I mean, West Ham. Plus, the city of Sunderland should consider moving to the Midlands. Yeah. Well, the NFL teams move about all the time, don't they? In, in America, so why can't we do it in this country? Well, we've got that new franchise in Los Angeles. <laughs> Um, just before we finish, um, let's have a quick look at um, this weekend's game. We're slap bang in the middle of a, um, an international break. Um, hopefully uh, enjoying some football action again this weekend. Cardiff City away, Tom, it's a long old trip for you. Um, nine games unbeaten. This is a, a real test, isn't it, of how far Brentford have come in the last couple of months? I think Cardiff are an excellent side and not I... I've actually put them as my in my two to go up along with Wolves in a, a recent sort of analysis piece of the championship. I think I think Wolves certainly for seeing the reports about the owners going to give them a blank checkbook to uh, get promotion to the Premier League. I could see them signing some big players in January and potentially putting away. I think second spots up for grabs. And the thing is, is you look at Cardiff. 
for me, Neil Warnock is the best manager at championship level in the last few years. And he has proven that time and time again. Yeah. He did well at Sheffield United. He took QPR up. He kept Rotherham up. And they looked aside likely to go down. He, and he did a reasonable job at Leeds as well. And he's always been an excellent manager at this level. And he will certainly do well with Cardiff. His, his setup is very much different to, say, Brentford. He always likes the sort of strong, powerful players. And certainly, I believe, Kenneth Sahore is back and he's a player that is deservedly mm. seen as one of their biggest threats. And certainly, Brentford will have a difficult afternoon at, at Cardiff. But they certainly, is anyone can beat anyone in the division. So, while, while I have full respect for the way Cardiff play, if Brentford can play to their capabilities, they can certainly get amongst it. I mean, they've... In their first year in the Championship, I think they raced into a 3-0 lead after 13 minutes. I think the goals were even 11, 22 and 33. And they do have the ability to score quick goals. They've certainly proved that uh, in the last two years or so. As they can, if they get a bit of momentum, they can put the game out of sight and quite rapidly. But I'd say as Cardiff is, you take a draw. You would take these... I would certainly be happy with a point at, on the road at Cardiff. A score draw for your betting coupons, I reckon, this weekend. I think Brentford is a, a very much a both teams to score yeah. coupon <laughs> yeah. every week. Is they they don't tend to keep many clean sheets, but they don't tend to be shut out by many opposition. But I think you have to probably look at if you look at the sort of upcoming next seven days or so. Cardiff away, you take a draw. Home to Burton, that really has to be three points whatever you're aiming to do in a season is you've got to do Burton at home who are probably going to be down there come come May you've got to view that as uh, three points at home whether you're battling relegation or going for promotion so that's in a sense a must win and they would be expected to win that and then they've obviously got a bit of a break before the uh, West London Derby. Yeah, so. we'll, uh, we'll leave talking about the West London Derby yes. for uh, for another edition. Um, thanks, Tom, for uh, for joining us. Thank you, Clive. Um, keep your eye on Get West London for all the latest bees news, and we will be back with you for another podcast next week. Mm-hmm.